so good to see you. You just watched the video on baptism, and guess what? On May 23rd, we're going to do a water baptism here at the church. We're going to do a worship night on Sunday night, May 23rd, and baptism is part of that. If you've never been baptized, then baptism is your next step of faith in Christ Jesus, and we'd love for you to sign up. You can do that online. Talk to uh, a staff pastor. Go on our website. You can sign up anyway, and uh, we would love to see you make that that leap of faith into the waters of baptism. Hey, I want to welcome you to Red Hills Church. Can we give it up for everyone watching online today? We're so glad that you're with us. I'm so glad that you're a part of us. We are one church in dozens, uh, maybe even hundreds of locations, all right? And so thank you for staying connected, for being a part and uh, of what God is doing at Red Hills Church. I'm so glad that you're with us. I see some new faces. I warmly welcome you to our church. Uh, our mission is to inspire people to know Jesus. My deepest uh, prayer uh, for you is that you would come to know Jesus Christ in a deeper way in a more profound way. And today we're going to continue our series in the book of Romans. Uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, about a week ago, our church staff, our pastors and staff, we moved offices to a new location. We uh, outgrew our current office space. We, we moved to a new place, which means that we had to buy some furniture. And my uh, my amazing wife bought all this furniture, but the thing with furniture, when you order it online, you have to do what? You got to put it together, all right? And, uh, and she did, and the staff did a great job of that. Somehow I missed that day where we put furniture together, but it reminded me of uh, my early days of our marriage uh, where Brienne and I, we lived in this really small apartment in Covina, California, and right when we moved in, we were, uh, we were barely out of our teenage years, there was an Ikea that opened up like three blocks away in Covina, California, and if you're... Uh, a, 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 a poor college student, we were still in school, the one place you go for furniture if you want to get new furniture is Ikea. How many know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and, and so we would get this furniture, and it would look great in the store, right? It, like, I mean, it looks beautiful set up when you walk through all these little areas, and the kitchen looks beautiful. But somehow when it got to our house, I almost lost my salvation putting that thing together, all right? Uh, flat box ship whatever is not meant for me. But, but, I, but I realized this. I realized that, um, that, that, that I learned something over the years that when I got a piece of furniture that I was actually going to read the instructions and learn how to put it together. And, and, and there are two types of people in the world. There are some people who actually read the instructions and then there are some people who just look at the picture and go to town. All right, I, I want to know how many of you actually read the instructions when you put something together. All right, you're my people. All right, it's about efficiency and getting the job done quicker. All right, how many people just look at the picture and you go to town? All right, yeah, if you, you're the true creatives, right? You're an Enneagram 4. You're an individualist. You're like, I'm not, I, I hit it, didn't I? I, I you know, I'm not going to follow instruction and this thing's just going to be great. Uh, it's going to be just how I put it together. Well, uh, well what's great is that uh, I think God can use both types of people, <laughs> uh, but, but, but 
you have a picture, but you also have the instructions. What I want to talk about today in the book of Romans is I believe God gives us a picture, but he also gives us the plan. And oftentimes we know the picture, but we don't know the plan in our Christian faith and, and, and how God has designed it. And so Paul teaches that uh, to us through the, this scripture, these three short verses, and I want to teach that to you and expound upon that today. And so I want to read Romans chapter 8, uh, verse uh, 28 uh, through uh, 30, and, uh, and some of you, you're going to know these verses very well. This is some of the most popular verses in all of Romans, perhaps even the New Testament. This is what the Word of God says. And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now I opened up in the book of Romans, actually Romans chapter 8, and I said Romans 8 is the mountaintop of the message of the gospel and especially in Paul's writing. If Romans is the greatest chap, tr greatest book, which a lot of people say, then Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. And if Romans 8 is the greatest chapter and it is the mountain of the mission or the message of God, then Romans 8 verses 28 through 30 is the peak. It is the climax of where the apostle Paul is going in his writing. And he gives us uh, uh, both the picture and the plan of salvation. I wonder this. I wonder how many times Christians go through life and, and, and they have a relationship with God, but they actually don't know the mechanics of that relationship. They don't know how. They don't know what. They don't even know why. They just know, I have a relationship with God. I made a commitment at some time in my life. Well, Paul gives us that. He, 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 he tells us exactly what is taking place. And today uh, is going to be a little more doctrinal and theological, a little less practical. I hope you take it home and you make it practical for your life. But we're going to wade into some deep waters today because I think Paul takes us there. And I'm going to define some terms. We're going to talk about some theological terms, some theological views, and we're going to we're going to bring out this rich truth of what God has given us through Paul's writing. And I will let you know, there are different backgrounds here today in the church. And this is one of those texts that have divided churches throughout history, all right? And so I'm going to dip my toes in this. So this is how I want to organize my message today. I want to talk about the what. I want to talk about the why. And I want to talk about the how. What does Paul say? Why does he say it? And how does it happen? So let's look at the what. I'm going to start with verse 30 and work my way to verse 28. The what. The what. The what is God's plan? Why has he instituted that? And how does he accomplish it? The what is this? That, that, that salvation is much bigger 
than we often make it in church and we think about it. Oftentimes we think salvation is merely the day that you raise your hand or you ask Jesus into your heart and you say, I am saved and that is salvation. And I wanna tell you that is part of salvation. I don't wanna minimize that, but I wanna let you know that salvation is much, much bigger than the personal commitment that you made or that you have yet to make, but you will make. In fact, salvation is an overarching term in scripture that covers God's plan from eternity past to eternity future. Uh, I think I have a slide that shows you and I'll put this slide up and you can start to fill in some blanks on your, uh, on your uh, handout. But this is what Paul is teaching us. This is the what? Salvation. In God's foreknowledge, he predestined, talk about a locked and loaded word, he called he justified and he glorified. In God's foreknowledge, he did four things, and this is the plan of God's salvation, all right? That he predestined, he called, there's an invitation, right? He justified and he glorified. This is the what. God instituted a series of actions that would create, sustain, and carry us through all the way to completion in our faith. From eternity past to eternity future and everything in between. In theology, we call this the study of uh, salvation. We call it soteriology, which is the, the study or doctrine of salvation. And we're gonna go into this today. Are you ready? Oh, look, come on, look at someone next to you say, are you ready? All right, S stay awake for me, all right? Make me feel better. Um, so let's talk about the foreknowledge of God. It says this, for those he foreknew, he predestined. This is a loaded word. I want to tell you, the first two words I'm going to talk about, the foreknowledge and predestination, uh, in these two words of alone, there are entire books written about these two words, especially the foreknowledge of God. And there are three views in the Christian faith on the foreknowledge of God. The first one is this. There's been a lot of ink that's been spilled over the, especially the first two views. And, and the first one is this. What is God's foreknowledge? And so one camp would say this, that God foreknows all that comes to pass because he, had de he has determined that which has come to pass. So his foreknowledge is based on what he plans to do. Are you with me? And so Everything in the world that happens, the good, bad, and the ugly, is planned, ordained by God. All right? We call this Calvinism in the church. All right? That's the first one. Some people are getting nervous today. This guy has got really quiet. All right? The second one is this. God foreknows all that comes to pass... Not necessarily because he planned it or determined it, but because he knows how humans will respond in their free will. We call this the Armenian camp, all right? And there is a third one, all right? This one is rather 
uh, recent in terms of theology. We have orthodox theology going back 2,000 years. This is probably in the last 100 years, especially in the last 30 years. And it is this, that God's foreknowledge is this, that God foreknows the broad outlines of the world history, right? He kind of knows the major events, past, present, and future. And he knows all that he has predestined and planned. But there are some details he does not know or he chooses not to know until humans decide them by their free will. You call this open theism. So which one is it? <laughs> Let's break this down. What does foreknow actually mean? To foreknow means to know ahead of time. Foreknow does not necessarily mean to plan. It means to know ahead of time something that is going to happen. What did God foreknow? I believe God foreknows our response in salvation or commitment to him. Are you with me? That God knows how humans are going to respond. And so that is the foreknowledge of God. And God plan, God's plan for us begins uh, at that moment that we say yes to him. But this foreknowledge does not necessarily mean that God causes it to happen, but he knows the decision that humans will make to receive him. All right, that's the foreknowledge. Are you ready for the next one? Predestination. <laughs> All right, what does predestination actually mean? Predestination means this. It is God determining and cho choosing who will be part of his divine community. All right, again, there are two different views in the uh, predestination, who God has predestined, all right? The, the first view is very similar to for, uh, the foreknowledge of God. The first view is this, that God chooses beforehand who will become part of his community, and by default, he chooses some not to be part of his community. Are you with me? You've heard that. All right, th that's the first one. The second one is that God... And it has predestined those who make the choice to follow him and have a relationship with him. Now, for me personally, in our church, we lean towards the free will providence of humanity that God has given us the ability to choose him. And by the way, this doesn't minimize the work of grace of God in our life. Grace cannot be earned. Grace is completely free. The work of God is all him. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation, but it is clear in scripture that there is part of God's sovereignty, his plan, and his predestination, his foreknowledge, but also human responsibility. Let me show you a couple verses to prove this point. Revelation twenty two seventeen says this. The spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come and let the th one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes, listen, to take the free gift of the water of life. What is John writing and saying he's saying that there is an invitation and all those who are thirsty and all those who want a part of it and all those who want to drink and all those who are tired and all those who want the free gift to come listen for a gift to be a gift it must be received 
It must be taken. It must be accepted. And people can choose to receive the gift or not to. Let me give you one more verse to show this. First Timothy 2, 4, it says this, that God wants all people. How many people? What people? Not some, all. All. In the Greek, you know what this means? All, all right? Everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of his truth. What's the point of predestination? The point is this. Paul's point was not to argue over theology or doctrine. His point was to say that God has a plan for your life. And that before you were even thought of at the foundations of the world, God predestined you. And so if you are here today and you have a relationship with Jesus or you're listening online, God has predestined you to hear the message of the gospel and he has planned for your life from before you were even born. For those he predestined, he also called. Let's look at the calling of God. Called means to summon, to invite. This is an invitation, right? God has predestined, right, those who make a choice to follow him, but he has called you. For you to, for you to be a follower of Jesus, there must be an invitation. There must be a reception of that invitation, and so he has called you. It's an invitation to be in a relationship with him. Not only has he predestined you, but he has for it to be your choice, he has given you an invitation. And I believe there are two aspects of the calling of God in Scripture. There's one that's general, that is for every single one of us here today. And there is one that is more specific and more unique. And that's the one that every Christian wants to find themselves and discover about themselves. So what is the general one? That God has called us, all of us. He has desired all men and women. He's given an invitation for everyone to be part of his plan and his kingdom and he has called us. So 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him, listen to the language, who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. God, his mission his plan is to send out a summoning, an invitation for people to receive him and come to him and be part of his kingdom and receive his grace. It is a calling, but there is a unique calling upon every single follower of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the different gifts that we have. In verse 4 it says this, that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. What does Paul say in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14? He says there are a multitude of gifts. And I have given gifts to my people in order for them to be used in ministry and mission, in ministry in the church and mission for the kingdom of God outside of the church. And part of your maturity in Christ is discovering what God has called you to be and what he has called you to do. Are you with me? That God has given you unique giftings and personalities 
in order to be used for his kingdom. And now some of you think, oh, I wish I had a different personality. I wish I was more outgoing like that person. I wish I was more like this. I wish I was, you know, I wish I was more strategic. I wish I, but do you know that God gave you the personality that you have in order to be used for his kingdom? And part of your life is figuring that out. We try to help the church with that. We have a class uh, called Next Step 2 where it's discovering your purpose. And we want to help you find the, the, the giftings God has placed within you, but not only find them, but help you release you into the ministry that God has called you to do. If you call yourself a Christian, you are called to ministry and you are called to mission. Somebody say amen. Is God calling you now? When I was a teenager, uh, I, 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 many of you don't know this, but I play guitar. Now, I'm not very good, but I used to be really good. Then I had kids, and they became my hobby, all right? And, uh, but when I was a teenager, I would play uh, guitar in my room, and as I was playing, I would hear the phone ring. Now, this was before the age of cell phones, all right? Some of you don't remember that day, but there used to be a time where the phone was plugged into the wall, all right? How many of you remember that? And uh, the phone was plugged into the wall, and it, and it had a ring. We'll see if it goes through. It's kind of sounded like this. You, do, you, do you remember that? And so I'd be playing guitar, all right? And not a Christian song. I'd be playing Tom Petty or something like that. All right, Nirvana, whatever. It was the 90s, okay? There wasn't good Christian music then, all right? <laughs> all right, just, I'm going to get an email for that one. I know it. <laughs> and, uh, and I'd hear the phone ring. And I'd stop what I was doing. I'd go to the phone, and I'd, and I'd pick it up. Nothing. Just the dial tone, all right? I'd go back to playing guitar, and, I, and I'd, hear the fo- I'd hear that ring. And I'd put things down, and, it, and it'd stop. And I, and, I, and I told, I think I told my mom about it. And she says, Aaron, I think God is calling you next time. I know, I'm like, I'm like uh, Samuel and Eli. Like, it takes like three or four times to get the point across in me. And she goes, maybe, uh, uh, maybe that's God calling you to do something. And, you know, I was open at that point. And those were the moments, even as a teenager, where I felt the, the calling to be a part of God's kingdom in the capacity that I am right now. What is God calling you to? He has called you to be in relationship with him, but he's called you to do something specific. He's got your number, all right? Maybe today it's a text message, all right? It's an Instagram, it's a something, but he, he wants to get through to you. And he wants you to know that he's, he's created you and designed you in such a way uh, that, that he wants to use you, that you have an important place in the kingdom of God. So those he predestined, <laughs> he called. Those he called, he justified. Justification uh, is probably one of the, uh, it is the theme of the whole book of Romans, of righteousness justification. And justification is this. It is the declaration that God has pardoned humanity from their sins when they come to know Jesus Christ. Now, I've said this before. An easy way to remember justification is this. Just as if I've never sinned. All right? Justified. Just as if I've never sinned. That is what God has done when you come to know him. It's as if you've never sinned and he looks at you 
Not of all the painful mistakes that you've made in the past, but he looks at you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is justification. But there are three dimensions of justification. The first one is this. It is the forgiveness of sin. And by the way, in the book of Romans, there is this kind of legal forensic language that Paul uses. Romans is not an emotional book. It it creates emotion, but it's more written kind of as like a Christian legal book. Like, it's just got some terms. Even righteousness is a first century legal term to to mean uh, to be acquitted for something that you did. All right? It's like the judge brings his gavel down and says, you are innocent. And so the first dimension of justification is this forgiveness of sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. The the second one is one that we don't often wade into the waters of this, but it's called imputed righteousness. Have you ever heard that term before? The imputed righteousness of God. And this is the declaration that God has made you righteous and he has justified you. He has made you righteous. It has been signed and notarized, sealed by the Holy Spirit. It is a document that cannot be revoked. It is a place and it is status. But a lot of people stop there. There is one more dimension of it and is imputed righteousness. The third one is an imparted righteousness. The first one is a declaration of righteousness. The second one is a manifestation of the righteousness of God in you. Let me give you an analogy to help you understand the difference between imputation and impartation. Say you have an uncle that made a lot of money in his lifetime and he passed away and you just happen to be his favorite niece or nephew. And you get the will and the executor of the will reads the will and they read your name in the will that your rich uncle left you a million dollars. And you would tithe that money, all right? And he looks at you and he says, you're a millionaire. (laughs) Oh, that's great. And so you go to the bank and you check your account and there's still like $53.23 in there, all right? He said you're a millionaire, but you don't have access yet. That's imputation. On paper, you've been declared a millionaire. But then you know that will has to go through probate. The judge has to declare uh, the the will, and the executor uh, uh, gives out the, the estate. And at that moment, when that estate and that money gets transferred in your account, that is the impartation. For the righteousness of God, when God sees you, he sees you as righteous. If you've said yes to him, he sees you as righteous, just as he looks as Jesus. In fact, it's like Jesus' image over you when he looks at you. That's imputation, but not only that, he gives you his righteousness. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit in you to live like Jesus in this earthly life. He wants to give you an impartation. The Christian's life is not just a declaration. It's a manifestation of the spirit and the life of Jesus in and through you. Listen, in our day and age and in the last year, we have discovered something about Christians in America. We have discovered that there is a massive lack of maturity because we don't understand the impartation that God wants to give us. And we are to be Christ followers more than any political party. And we are to promote Jesus more than our own agenda. And he 
gives you the power. And he gives you the spirit. And he wants to raise you. And he wants to mature you. And he wants to, to fill you with his spirit. Man, Paul has got some good stuff in here. Here's the last one. For those he justified, he also glorified. Now, this is one of the most neglected doctrines in the church. This is the doctrine that the future of your life, that your life will be perfected, the glorification. This is the final stage of the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. This is the final stage, glorification, and it is multidimensional. In one way that you receive glorification when you die a physical death and your spiritual natures are perfected. And in a second way, it is a collective when Jesus returns for you and comes back for his people, the Bible says that there will be a resurrection of, the, of Christians and followers of Jesus. This is the final glorification. Now, now the future of things doesn't get a lot of playtime because a, a lot of people uh, have lost their hope in what God is giving them and what God has planned for them. And in fact, I, in my early 30s, I remember preaching here, uh, and, and I remember it was the first time I ever got booed on stage, all right? Uh, and, uh, and I said something like this, talking about the future, talking about heaven, and I said, I don't know a lot of people who actually long for heaven. And I got a bunch of boos, right? Boo, not, not boos, all right? <laughs> That's for Sunday afternoon. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm going on sabbatical. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> I got booed, and I, and I realized it was it was from a certain generation of people, mature, seasoned <laughs> believers, seventy and above. All right, and I noticed this: the, the closer you get to the end of your life, the more you desire a heavenly kingdom, the glorification not only of your spiritual nature but also of your body. Listen, the, the glorification is, is what gives us hope. It's what we, we, we long for and yearn for and strive for. Philippians 3.21 says it this way, Jesus, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform your lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That is the what. All right, I've got five minutes to talk about the why and the how. <laughs> well, what is the why? The why is uh, in verse 29. And the why is this. Why has God predestined you and called you and justified you and will glorify you? Why has God done that? Because of this. It's to be conformed to the image of Jesus. To be conformed to the image of of the Son. I want you to know something, church family. Everything in our life, everything in our journey, everything in our future life is all about Jesus. Everything in our life is all about him. It's all about Jesus. W what do I mean? What are we predestined to? To be like Jesus. What are we called to? To be like Jesus. 
All right, what are we justified to? To be like Jesus. What are we glorified to? To be like Jesus and his body. Your whole life is to be conformed to the image of the Son, not only in this life, but also your future life. This is the peak of Paul's writing. It's all about Jesus. He predestined you to be like him. And he's going to help you out and he's going to conform you to the image of his son. How does he do that? How does God accomplish his plan on earth? Let me get to the final part of this and I'm going to close with this. It says this in verse 28. This is the most quoted verse in Romans and the most misquoted verse in Romans. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. This has been one of the most quote, misquoted verse because we often say God works all things together for good. All right, we even sing songs about it, right? God works all things together for good, but that's only half of the verse. God works all things together for the good of those who what? Love him. It's the saints. It's his followers. It's part of your uh, your, your, your righteousness in Christ. It's part of, your fo- of following Jesus. And not only have we misquoted this verse, but we've also misused this verse. For example, someone loses their job and we say something like this. Well, don't worry, God, God works all things together for good. You're gonna get a better paying job. Somebody severs a relationship, a a spouse, or not a spouse, but an engagement, um, a relationship, and and someone comes to you and says, don't don't worry, there's someone better for you. God works all things together for good. And most times when we say this verse and we think about this verse, we're always thinking in the material aspect, the physical, the things that you can touch and the things that you can see. It is the things right in front of us. It is the material blessings of God. And by the way, what I'm not saying is that God doesn't want to bless you because God wants to bless you. I believe it. But not everything good that happens equates to a physical material blessing on earth. Because in Paul's mind, everything is about getting you closer into the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, let, let me tell you Paul's theology already about suffering and pain in Romans 5, 3, and 4. It says this, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. We glory in them because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. The good that God promises to work things together for isn't necessarily for things on earth maybe it's for God to teach us to rely on him in a season of lacking or wanting or needing maybe it's a way for God to eliminate the idols in our physical life so that we can focus more on him and the eternal good that he has for us my point is this that oftentimes when we think of the goodness of God we think of blessing 
in the physical, temporal, and material. But God's goodness is way bigger than that. God's blessing is way bigger than that. And the good that God brings us is not always necessarily what we think is best, but it is what's best for us. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Here's what I think Paul is trying to say in verse 28. That there is nothing that will touch you that he can't use for his good and your good. There is no pain too deep. There is no sin too great. There is no uh, anger. There's no frustration. There's no crisis that he can't use to bring about his good in you and through you and ultimately to make you like Jesus. And I know in this last year, a lot of you have experienced pain and crisis, frustration and depression, anxiety. I mean, it's been a difficult year. I talk to my friends, I talk to people, it's been the hardest year of their life. And I have a choice that I can complain and I can be frustrated or I can ask God, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? Where are you trying to lead me in this? What good do you want to come out of this in my own life? And it always comes back to this, to being close to Jesus. Every pain, every mistake, every moment in your life is an opportunity for you to draw close to Jesus, for you to draw close to Him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your plan of salvation for all of us that you've predestined and called and justified and will glorify. Lord, we are secure in our understanding of what you have for us. And Lord, I pray in this season that we've been through, in this season that we don't know ahead of us, that we would become more like you. In every aspect, we become more like you. We love you, Jesus. And we praise your name. And everyone said, amen.